The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Welcome to all of you. We're glad you're here. Most of you are looking good this morning. Um, take your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. Welcome all of those of you that are joining us online. We have a number of people there and certainly glad that you can join us. I know there's a number of you that have to be in your homes right now, so I'm glad that you can still be joining us. And I would encourage you also to be a part of the service. Take a moment for those of you joining us online to, to text a friend. You can even do that right now. Just to text a brief word of encouragement that God loves them. Uh, let them know where you're joining in church this morning online as you have to be quarantining and whatever else it is that, that you're doing. So, You know, church, I feel like, um, boy, I would just be shortchanging the church if I were just to not share with you what the Lord teaches me in my own personal life. And um, boy, if I had to pinpoint a certain thing that I really felt like God was teaching me just personally and my own walk with Jesus over these past few weeks, it's really been that Man, His Word is just so relevant for us. And I know a lot of you are like, well, okay, of course, Pastor Ben, like, of course His Word is relevant. But no, like in a really sweet and special way. Like if there was someone who you had to give directions, driving directions to through a dangerous part of town and you didn't like them at all, you would give them very vague, non-helpful directions. You probably wouldn't write anything down. You would just say, hey, yeah, go down to this corner of the street and where you see the drug deal happening, keep on driving, you know. You wouldn't give them good instructions, but if it was someone driving that you loved, you'd see that it was written down. You'd see that it was clear. You'd see that your love for them was expressed in what it was that you wrote of the clear, detailed instructions of how to navigate the road ahead. And I just, I so believe that, that this is what God's Word is for us. So if you're in Philippians chapter 3, I invite you to look at verse 1 and following. It says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit and truth. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is from faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's join together as we pray. 
Father, we love your word. It is a light to our path, a lamp unto our feet. Thank you, Jesus. A special, special thanks we have for your word in a year like this, in times like these, and very likely even more so as we progress through time. So Jesus, we're here this morning to declare that you are our shepherd, that we do love you, and that we want to follow the beckoning voice of your son. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, So we have been in the book of Philippians, who we know God used Paul to write to this church at Philippi, and there are a number of things, this, if you could have an overarching theme of this book, it would be joy. And God has used Paul to write to this church about the joy of many things, about the joy of the fellowship and the gospel, of the, just the union that you can have together as a people, following Jesus, having this fellowship together and being redeemed people that will live together in eternity, that's pretty cool worthy conduct that Christians have the ability to, to live out the life that God has given them to, to work out the salvation that God has placed in them, the forgiveness of sins that he's given them. Paul's even thankful and joyful over these chains that he's currently in while he's writing this book, being inspired of God's Holy Spirit. He, Paul says, I'm glad that these chains, if I'm going to be chained to this wall, I'm glad that these chains have preached to the prison guard. It's given me an opportunity for the furtherance of the gospel. He's joyful about that. Paul was joyful about the possibility of being poured out like a drink offering for the sake of the gospel. And then last week we saw how Paul then takes the two examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus of their good and worthy conduct and puts it on display for the church at Philippi to see and for New Covenant Community Church to see what that looks like. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that for any of us that have been driving any length of amount of time, you've been driving down the road and you hear ding! and you look at your dash and it comes on the low tire pressure light raise your hand if you've ever had that's happened to you yeah most all of us that drive especially most recently with the weather having gotten colder many times i've put more air in the tires now here in chapter three of philippians we see that this kind of warning is given by god through paul regarding this happy church the church at philippi much in the same way that the warning light for your low tires come on so it tells, you, it tells you to go out, check the tires, make sure that you can have the pressure in your tires you need so that you can continue on your merry way down the road that you're going in much the same way. Paul says here, God through Paul says in chapter 3, here's this warning I'm going to give you so that you can continue on your merry way down the destination, down the road that you were going. And there are three things that are described that God through Paul describes here to give us this warning. Number one, he describes a problem. Number two, the outcome of that problem. And number three, the solution to that problem. And what I believe as we will go through God's Word today is that we'll see that this problem, outcome of the problem, and the solution back in the year approximately 60 A.D. when God was using Paul to first write these letters, first to create the Word of God here in this way to the church at Philippi and now to us today, that Although things may look a little bit different now in 2020 AD, the problem, the outcome of the problem, and the solution are, still, are all still very much the same. So if you are ready to rightly divide the word of truth, let all of the sinners redeemed by Christ's blood this morning say, let's do it. Verse 1, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things as to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. 
So the first one is essentially it's the ding, it's, it's the light coming on the dash. It's, here's the, here's the, it's not tedious, it's not burdensome for me, Paul says, to write this to you. It's not burdensome to let this warning light go on that will ensure the safety and joyfulness of the future road ahead of you. But for you, it's a safe thing. It's a safeguarding thing that I'm about to say to you. Verse 2, where it describes to us the problem. Verse 2, it says, Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So, who are dogs, who are evil workers, and what is the mutilation? If you know much about Paul's ministry... Uh, you know that he had a great problem throughout the time that God had him minister on earth. And perhaps this problem was the very thorn in the flesh that we know of God's word that Paul asked God to remove from him that God said, my grace is sufficient for you. And this great problem that Paul had was that as he would go out and minister, as he would go out and disciple and plant churches, he would go and teach things like Christ is what you need for salvation. You need Jesus' righteousness to be that of your own. When you repent and turn from your ways and you trust in Jesus, His righteousness will be your own. You'll be faultless and blameless before God and you'll be accepted into His heaven. That's what Paul went about preaching, planting churches to preach and to teach that wonderful truth of God. And then he had this group of people, these Jewish leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, tax collectors, scribes, a whole bunch of different occupations, but these Jewish people, these leadership, religious leadership among the Jews that would then go behind Paul and then teach these people that he was teaching Christ to say, yeah, if you're going to believe in Christ, you also need to be circumcised. You also need to follow the Old Testament law. You also need to observe these feast days. They would add on to the gospel something that was then leading people astray. They're commonly referred to, these, this group of people is commonly referred to as Judaizers, if you know the book of Galatians, which was the letter God used Paul to write to the church at Galatia, God really came down heavily upon these Judaizers, these adding to the gospel type of people. Jesus and John the Baptist called this group of people vipers. He called them ser serpents. In Matthew 18, 6, Jesus says, But whoever causes one of these little ones, one of these little ones who believes in me, to sin. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. And in this text explicitly that we're in this morning, Paul calls them dogs and evil workers. And it's interesting that he calls them dogs because this was a common name that Jewish leadership would call Gentiles, which would probably be most of us today people of non-Jewish descent. These Jewish leadership would, would call them dogs. And here Paul turns it around and calls them a dog for the work that they were doing, the altering of the gospel work that they were doing. So when you really boil down the work of these dogs, serpents, vipers, evil workers, take your pick from what they had been called in Scripture, when you really boil it down at its most basic level, what they were doing in the first point today, the problem was that they were, they were teaching a modified gospel. A modified gospel. Paul says to the happy, joyful church that the church at Philippi was, watch out for teachers of this modified gospel. Watch out for Judaizers. Watch out for people who add on to the gospel. Watch out for people who claim to be godly, who claim to be followers of Christ and claim to be Christians, but are truly not. Watch out for them. When I 
prior to ministry being a personal trainer, you would have a client that would then move to a for job or different location, changing whatever, moving closer to family, whatever it was. They would go from underneath your care as a pastor, as a as a I almost said pastoral trainer, as a personal trainer, and and you're helping them with their fitness goals and helping them to get the six pack abs that they've always wanted and all these things. And they would ask you, they say, well, what what should I look for when I move to this new state or this new town and you can no longer be my trainer? What should I look for in a personal trainer? And jokingly, but not jokingly, we would always say, never hire a fat personal trainer. Ever. Don't ever hire a fat personal trainer. Because if they can tell you that they can help you get something that they don't already have, they're a hypocrite. There is some hypocrisy in that industry that must be watched out for. Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 15, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. The modified gospel was a real issue in Paul's day. And it absolutely led people astray. This was a salvific, which is a very seminary type word. It was a salvation, a whether or not someone ended up in hell or heaven type of issue. And I believe that that is why Jesus was, was so strong in his language. John the Baptist used the same language that was serpents, brood of vipers. Why would you add on this, this thing to think, get people to think they need these things for salvation when they indeed do not? And this was Paul's response as well. Now, I believe that although that was written in the year 60 A.D., approximately the book of Philippians, that we, in the year 2020, have a very similar crisis of a modified gospel. Now, I believe it looks a little bit different. I believe the pendulum has swung to the other side. I believe the car is now in the ditch on the opposite side of the road. Rather than an adding to the gospel adding this burdensome grace of having to feel like you can trust Jesus, but you also need to do these other things to be right before God. Now, in today's world, I believe that we have a taking away from the gospel. Because people, and even most Christians, I would say, don't really read their Bibles that much anymore, we have forgotten some pieces of God's Word that the devil has loved us forgetting. And they are small, subtle pieces, but collectively they... They have caused idol worship in many churches today. And here's what I mean. People have forgotten that, that the whole story of Scripture is about God's redemptive plan and about the, the person and the work of Christ. People have forgotten to have the clear vision of, of what the crucifixion means and what the crucifixion was. The, that it was a payment that Christ was making. That it was a substitution that He was in our stead. People in general today, even in church, don't really see Jesus as being the greatest rescuer of all time. They don't see the gospel as being the greatest story of heroism that has ever been told. People aren't really moved by Jesus much anymore. I feel like I've even seen that in the short years that I've been a minister. People aren't moved by the person of Christ as much as they used to. When the Bible says that as we progress through time that, that the love of many will grow cold, I believe that just perhaps those cold, dead, infected fingers of the devil have even infiltrated many churches. When the Bible tells us that as we progress through time, that people will heap up for themselves itching ears, that, that people will want to hear a certain thing, and rather than being convicted by it, they'll just go find someone to tell them what it is that they want to hear. I believe that just perhaps those have, that's come inside of the church and 
And this modified gospel used to be a burdensome grace, things that were added on to the gospel that people had to go do, but, but now it's, it's, there's certain elements being taken away. It's now this cheapified grace that people believe in of God. And here's what I mean by this. How many of you have ever perhaps seen a depiction, perhaps in a Sunday school room or in a children's Bible book of Noah in the ark, and there's the cute little rubber ducky shaped ark and there's cute little fat chunky Noah standing out with a smile on his face the sun is shining the water's there and they're in the ark and there's the two goofy looking giraffes with the big smiles on their faces I mean I understand that it's especially in a kid's book it's kind of hard to write in the floating dead bodies around that picture but but you but the point is is that we start to see that and we start to believe it is true that the sun was shining we forget that we forget the great intense focused weight of God's wrath against sin. We forget that that, that that was when God killed everything except for eight people and, and two of every kind of animal. We forget that. We forget we've taken that piece of the message of God's Word away from it. We're in Christmas season. I love Christmas. I probably loved Christmas last year and already this year more than I ever have in my entire life. I love Christmas. But how many of us, we've seen this hundreds of times, perhaps thousands of times, you see a depiction of the stable where Jesus is born. The animals are properly groomed. They've all got these, like the animals almost, almost have like these humanistic expressions of smiles on their faces. It's so clean and dry. There's just this aura of glow. It looks like they've got Christmas lights in the stable. Everything is dry. Everything is clean. Mary and Joe look just wonderfully rested. And we call them Joe because that's what Daisy calls it in the house and with her little toy nativity set mary and joseph i just called him joe it's mary and joseph and 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 the manger is something that looks specific it looks what am i trying to say here i can't even speak today it looks specific i can't even speak what what's the word suspiciously thank you suspiciously like like a crib it looks like a baby crib with this nice little straw and the baby's just happy and i mean it's just Y'all, if you need to know what a, what, a, what a stable looks like, you can come out to the farm and I'll show you. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like that at all. The stable that they would have been in did not have this beautiful glow. It at best would have had a lantern that was dim. It would have been dark. It would have been dirty. The manger that Jesus, the, the manger that Jesus dethroned himself to, the King and God of heaven dethrones himself to this manger. It was not this crib-like type of thing. The Greek word for a manger is photny, which describes a, a feed trough. And today they make feed troughs out of rubber and plastic. You know why they do that? It's so that the animal urine and feces can't stick to it and soak into it. You didn't expect to hear that this morning. But even then, a, a feed trough, a fontany in those days would have been made out of wood or stone. Things that collected animal urine and feces stuck to it. The Savior of the world dethroned Himself from heaven and He's in a fontany. Not this picture of taking away from, from the great dethronement that He did for us. A modified gospel is indeed an issue that we have today of taking away from the from, the, from God's Word, from the Gospel, from the entirety of the message that God has for us, we've, we fail to see the weight of sin. We fail to see the weight of His dethronement that He did willfully on our behalf. And this modified Gospel, this cheapified grace that we have today has produced some things in our world today. It's produced a church that thinks it's fine to look like the world. 
because grace is so cheap, people feel like they don't need to be turned into a new creation by God. They don't believe anymore. People don't believe anymore that God needs to exchange your heart of stone and replace it with one of flesh that has new desires and new thoughts and, and new aspirations in life. People don't believe that anymore. People don't believe that the gospel really needs to move people's hearts. Just say this prayer, cheapified grace says. Just check this box, cheap grace says. Jesus is just to get you out of hell. It's just fire insurance, cheap grace says. People believe that God is passing out this cheap grace like the government passing out stimulus checks during COVID. I mean, it's, it's this cheapified, modified gospel. And it does, it has indeed produced modern day Pharisees. And to put it in the words of Jesus and John the Baptist, modern day vipers and serpents and evil workers, Paul says. It's produced pro-choice Christians who say that it ought to be a mother's choice whether or not she kills her baby. It's produced LGBTQ Christians who say that, that God cherishes their lifestyle. It produces lukewarm Christians that teach that everyone's a child of God and it doesn't matter what religion you follow as long as you're passionate about following the religion that you're following, they'll all lead you to heaven. It produces the social justice woke Christians of America today that teach that, that championing the causes of a hell-bound world are more important than fulfilling the great commission of our Savior. Jesus said in 20, Matthew 23-27, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs which indeed appear beautiful outwardly. It appears beautiful outwardly to the world when they see a pro-choice Christian and they say, well, well, how wonderful that they're championing the cause of feminism. How beautiful that looks to the world. The LGBTQ Christians, how inclusive they are. How beautiful it looks to the world of the social justice woke church. That Look how beautiful it is that they're willing to champion the cause of when any neighboring nation or anybody accuses them of anything, they're willing to repent of a sin that they may not even be guilty of. Something that perhaps God has not even convicted them of. And before you say to yourself, well, Pastor Ben, get them. You know, get, get, preach, them preach them straight to hell. I, hear me first, church. This cheap, modified, cheap grace, modified gospel, I believe has also infiltrated even perhaps some of our hearts and even perhaps mine we are an angry more angry group of believers than perhaps the world has ever seen people love to argue you know i, I mean i love talking to all of you throughout the week i mean i have countless phone calls and text conversations throughout the week and i love that but you know the call that i am just sick to death of around here is people that will call asking questions about the church and they'll say, well, I've got some theological questions about your church. And so, okay, fine, fire away. I'll answer anything, anything you've got. And, and they really aren't calling to ask about their church. They're really just calling so that they can argue with the pastor. I mean, it becomes very clear to me after I've had so many of these conversations that sometimes I'll get to the end and it's like, okay, you really didn't want to know about the church, did you? You really just wanted to call and argue with someone that went to seminary. And I've even had some people say, well, yeah, I, I kind of enjoy, enjoy debating these things. And it's like, well, if you enjoy debating these things, that's great, but I don't have time for this. I've got a sermon to prepare and people to love. So, so thank you, but use Google for a while, and then when you really are looking for a church, and be honest about the reason for your call, then call me. But otherwise, I've got work to do. This cheap grace modified gospel, it has created a complete consumerism in our Christian walk today. People no longer seek a church that and I'm speaking broadly, this is not everyone, of course, but many people don't go to a church because it's preaching and teaching the truth of God's Word. They'll go to a church simply based on what is 
fulfilling their needs and desires. There is this movement in our world today among Christians, this Jesus and coffee movement. And I'm not trying to step on your toes this morning, but I really want to be real with you. This, this, there's clothing made with this. This is a hashtag on social media. This Friday morning, nothing better than Jesus and coffee. And I, and I like coffee too, but hear me. Like I, sometimes I think to myself, man, if, if, if we really had in our minds, if we had a picture of a battered, bruised, and bloody Savior dragging a cross up Calvary's hill to die on it for you, you'd, you'd have a hard time putting coffee and Jesus in the same sentence together. That would be really hard to do. Many of the petty, stupid things that we think about, talk about, and argue about on social media would just go away if we had this, this true gospel, Jesus in my place picture of who it is that Jesus is. Be reminded, dear child of God, this morning that God's gift of grace to you is free. But it wasn't free for Him. He bought it. He purchased it with His blood, with His life. And it certainly was not cheap. If you believe that, say amen. So what's the word of the Lord to the church at Philippi all those years ago? And what is still God's word to us? What's the interpretation of this text? I believe it's that we really just need the gospel, amen? We just need the gospel. We really need our hearts to be moved by our rescuer. To not go into these, these pitiful terrible places of bickering about nothing, but to have a true picture of what it is for Jesus to rescue us from our sin. If you believe that, say yes. So that's the great problem. And if you look in verse 4, we read of the outcome of this problem. Verse 4, it says, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, Paul says, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Rubbish is a good word. If you think that's a good word, say rubbish with me. Ready, set, go. Rubbish. So if, if Paul could be here today, which he's not, he's with the Lord obviously, but if Paul could be here right now, I, I would so love to be able to grab one of those microphones and say, Paul, come up here and preach this for a minute. God obviously inspired you by His Holy Spirit to write this Scripture, but, but come put it up in your own words. Your reading of, the, of God's Word, that God used you as the pen through which He wrote it. Come preach this for a minute. What, what do you mean by all these things were rubbish? I think what he would say is, Paul would say, you know what, if there was any gain, if, if I have the Gospel of Christ, and what it is that He's done in its rawest form of my broken condition being made whole by me having His righteousness because I've trusted and followed Him. Anything else that I've added on top of that circumcision and being a Hebrew and being of the tribe of Benjamin and all these things and being a Pharisee, if I, all those things that I've added on to them, I've found them all to be rubbish. Garbage. It's trash. It's worthless. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do any good. 
I believe that we today in a world of a modified gospel where there is much taken away in this cheap grace in our world, I believe that we could follow this trend and we could soften the blow of the gospel. We could soften the blow of sin. We can soften who we are before God. I could, we could be following a false Christ up here today. We could preach that the human heart really doesn't need to be changed and you can be comfortable in your sin and comfortable who it is that you are. We could become this hip, woke church that just champions whatever cause the world decides for us to champion. We decide to champion it too. Like we could be that. T- I could come up here with a pair of skinny jeans on this morning. Praise the Lord, that didn't happen. But we could take away from the gospel to make it more palatable. We could do all of those things. But what I believe in my core, in my absolute core, what I believe, church, is that we could do all those things. We could have the gospel and take away from it all those extra things and all those things that are popular. And once we got to the very end, we'd realize, you know what, this gospel, everything else that we did, everything else that we tried to do, tried to take it away, tried to change it, that amount of things, it's all rubbish. It's trash. It's garbage. It doesn't do anything. So the outcome, and I'm shouting this morning, sorry, but that's what you get. So um, the outcome, point number two this morning, church, the outcome of a modified gospel, worthless endeavors. Say the word worthless with me. Ready, set, go. Worthless endeavors. And this worthless endeavor, church, is not just a waste of time. It's not just a time what are you going to spend your time doing as a church. That's not what this is about. This absolutely leads people astray. It's the difference between hell and heaven as it was with the modified gospel in Paul's day, so it is in our day today. This is a salvific salvation, whether or not someone goes to heaven or hell, issue. If that's clear, say amen. I've been backhandedly scolded, and it's kind of funny when, um, you know, when somebody wants to scold a pastor, most people don't have the gall to be able to go up and, and face to face with the pastor and, and tell them why they think they're an error or whatever. They usually do it in a backhanded way. They, they wait until you preach something they disagree with and then they'll go up to you that next week and tell you, well, I don't, I don't agree with people who do and then they'll say whatever it is that you just got done doing. And you're not sure if they saw the sermon online so you're kind of questioning like, uh, are they, is this geared towards me or not? But, but I've been scolded before and, and because there were some sermons a number of weeks ago when I called out some specific teachers. Teachers that are are the people that Paul said to the church at Philippi that God says to us today, watch out for. They're teachers of a modified gospel. And I called those, some of those people out by name. And, and then that following week, there's people that said, well, I don't agree with people who call out people by name for whatever the reasons they gave. But, but listen, if, if you worked for a parachute company and it was your job amongst with a team of people to create the harnesses that skydivers wore, and you saw one of your coworkers making one faulty such that you knew it was going to fail. You knew that when the person, the, the, the skydiver, got in that harness and they jumped, it was going to cause them to fall to their death. And you knew that. If you hated the people that were going to be wearing the harness, you just let them go. You wouldn't do anything. You wouldn't say anything. But if you love the people, if you really love the people that were going to be wearing that harness, you would, you'd call it out. You'd scream foul. You would, you'd get them fired. You'd do whatever it took to make sure that that harness was not being worn by somebody who was going to then fall to death. That's why I don't have any problem. Namely because Jesus and John the Baptist and Paul and all the other apostles did where they would, they would be very clear of watching out. Beware for these dogs. Beware for these evil workers. Beware for these serpents and brood of vipers. Beware of them. They're teaching a modified gospel that leads people straight to hell. And that's why I don't, I don't 
feel bad at all about saying there are certain teachers that you just shouldn't listen to. I will never, ever, ever in my home allow my daughter to ever sit under and be influenced by the teaching of Joel Osteen. Why? Because I believe he's teaching a modified gospel. There's so much taken away from the gospel that you can watch the sermons and not even know how to get saved. I will never, and I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not, I'm not ashamed of saying that that is wrong to, to just let my daughter do No, I, won't do, I love her. I love her. I don't want her to go on this worthless endeavor that could absolutely be her eternal demise. Now, this is important to note, church. I want to note here, and and if we were in different days, if this sermon was being preached, say, in the 60s or 50s or 40s or sometime past, I probably would not even include this note, but I feel like this is an important piece to note here in this sermon particularly to make sure you know the difference between a salvation issue and a non-salvation, non-salvific, non-whether-or-not-somebody-goes-to-heaven-or-hell theology, doctrine, issue. When it was a salvation thing of whether or not somebody could be led astray in eternity forever, Jesus and John the Baptist, and all the, they were the first ones to call foul on that. But when it came to a gospel-loving, preaching lover of God that would be in error, The model we have is not to call them out in public, not to embarrass them. The model that we have, Acts 18, when Paul is in Galatia with two people named Aquila and Priscilla, they were fellow tent makers, and there was this man named Apollos who was a a lover of God, faithful teacher. The Bible says that he was very skillful in his speech and very good at debating people and, and showing the Jews the gospel. He's very good at this, but he was in error about some particulars of baptism. We don't know exactly what they were. All it tells us there in Acts 18 is that he was teaching the baptism of John. We don't know exactly what that means in his teaching, but the model that we have scripturally is that Aquila and Priscilla go to him privately. They lovingly, graciously correct him, and then the next verse, the next breath that goes right into it, and Apollos is still preaching. He's even more correct than before, and he's still encouraged to preach and to teach. That is the model. So make sure, church, as we move forward together as a faith family, decipher between the salvation issues that were very clear, the, the dogs that we are watching out for, and other issues where you lovingly come alongside a believer and go to them privately, not embarrassing them, not calling them out, and show them their error, opening your Bibles together. That is a timely word for New Covenant Community Church. Now, if you would look to verse 8b as we move on. Paul has counted all these endeavors of the modified gospel as rubbish, and then it says, verse 8b, as we move on, it says, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, that the righteousness which is from God by faith. So I'll give you the third and final point this morning. Solution to a modified gospel. Faith in Christ's righteousness. Say those words with me. Ready, set, go. Faith in Christ's righteousness. And nothing more. And nothing less. If you died today, church, if one of you died today, and you went before God saying, well, yeah, I went to that. I drove all the way to Johnstown to hear that preacher. Well, yeah, God, I tithed on 10. But if you, if you added more on to it, yes, God, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was an Israelite of the tribe of Benjamin. If you did something where you had a modified gospel, I believe the answer to that person would be that of Isaiah 64, verse 6, which says your righteousness is like filthy rags. You can't add to the gospel. It's perfect as it is. If you believe that, say yes. If you died today, 
and you took away from the gospel. Not adding to it, but taking away. You, you worshiped this Americanized version of Jesus that includes no repentance, that includes not a changed heart, that includes not realizing that the old man that you are needs to be changed into the new creation that God would make you. You know, sometimes I've had people ask me before, Pastor Ben, why, why, why is it that you think that Jesus was, was beaten 39 times with a cat and nine tail? Why, why 39? Why, why, didn't it, why wasn't it just like 20 times? And my answer, my first answer out of my mouth was, you know what, the reason that Jesus was beat probably 39 times is because if he was beat 20, there'd still be 19 that you would still have to owe. Why is it that Jesus was crucified like this and not on a beam like this, like with one stake through the hands? It's because if it was only one stake through his hands, there would still be another stake needing to be driven through someone's hand, and that would be yours. You can't take away from the gospel. You can't take away from what it is that he's done to forgive us. Why is it that Jesus had the crown of thorns on his head? Because if it wasn't, you would still have a scalp that needed to have the scars of that crown of thorns being pressed upon your brow. You can't take away from the gospel. Every single piece of it was to take away our sins. Isaiah 53, verse 5 to 8, it says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. Everyone say the word wounded. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. By every single one of his stripes, church, we are healed. Every single one of them. If you love Jesus, say amen. We love what he's done. So why is it that Paul wanted an authentic, non-modified gospel for this church at Philippi that he loved? He loved this church. He loved these people. The people at this church even loved Timothy, the worker with Paul. There was this, they loved each other. They were an absolute family together. Why is it that Paul wanted this authentic, non-modified gospel? And it tells us why in verse 10. As Paul tells you, the, the absolute result in his own life of a non-modified gospel, just trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone, the faith that he has in him. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain resurrection from the dead. If at any chance, if there's any chance of attaining resurrection from the dead, Paul says, it's going to be by, by, by being in the likeness of his death and resurrection. So therefore, that's the reason I want you, church at Philippi, to have a non-modified gospel trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone and watching out for those that would modify the gospel. So what's the result? And I don't believe at all that this would be a misinterpretation as we interpret God's word. If, if we were to put ourselves there where Paul put himself in, what if we collectively put ourselves as a church in? If we, if we trust the gospel and just the gospel together, what's the result? That New Covenant Community Church may know Him. Is that good news? Everyone say yes. That New Covenant Community Church may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death. If by any means New Covenant Community Church may attain to the resurrection from the dead, that is the avenue. Place your child's name in there. And see how close to home it becomes to, know that, to make sure that they know the gospel. To make sure that you're not worshiping an idol that the rest of every other family that you know is worshiping, but that, that you're worshiping Jesus in your home. And that you're showing Jesus to your family and to your girlfriend and to your boyfriend and to your children and to all the people that, that you're showing Jesus to them. 
Because if I make sure that, Jesus, that, that Daisy is following Jesus and Him only and trusting in the Gospel, not taking anything away, not, and certainly we're not going to go and try to describe to her at two and a half years old all the floating bodies around Noah's Ark. Like, like there isn't time for things to be appropriate. I understand that. But, but ensuring that she grows up in a home that knows Jesus, that knows being the likeness of His resurrection, that knows Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His suffering, if by any means that Daisy may attain resurrection from the dead. Boy, as a parent, that's, that's all there is. That's the goal I'm striving for. And as I told you last week, if any of you or this church or my role in this church ever got in the way of that salvation of that little girl, man, I will be out of here faster than any of you could imagine. Insert your own family there, church. That the Higgins may know him and the power of his resurrections, that the Warners that the Dalbos may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship, but that, that you may know Him, church. So the question on the table this morning, and we can come to the music now, is could you put your name in that line? Have you, have you trusted and followed a real Jesus such that you can say, yeah, I, could, I can be like Paul and I can put myself in that same text that I know the, res, the power of His resurrection, that, that when it comes time for at the end of the days of this earth, that I'll be resurrected just like Him. That I was in the likeness of His death and I'm also in the likeness of His resurrection. Can you put your name in that line? Because I certainly hope that you can. And if you haven't heard it in a while, I just want to tell you that unless you are certain that you can put your name on that line, this is not a doctrinal theological difference. This is a salvific salvation whether or not you spend eternity in heaven or hell issue. That is the issue. And it's only an issue as long as you make it one because Christ has already done all the work. Amen? Would you stand with me? He's done all the work to save you. You trust Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, burden our hearts for those like you did for Paul that, that we would be just repulsed by the thought of changing what is perfect, changing the gospel. Father, let a modified gospel never creep into this church. Let it never creep into our homes and into our hearts individually, God. Let us see you for truth. When we celebrate Christmas this year, Lord, let, let it not be this false image of this warm, fuzzy scene of a manger, but, but the, the, the King of Heaven, the God of the ages, be thrown Himself into a urine, feces, soaked feed trough because he's a rescuer because you came to save us because you're a great hero because you're a great God because you got so much mercy and so much power and so much love to come and redeem a people that didn't deserve it oh God what, a, what an amazing savior we serve Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would burden the hearts of anyone here that does not know you as Lord and as Savior. Father, when we walk out of this place, Lord, let us be a people collectively that we can say we are a people that know your resurrection, that know the power of it, that know what it means to have a heart transformed from a heart of stone into a heart of flesh, and to be your child. In Jesus' name, and we all say together, let's worship together. This altar is always open.